the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This was a fortified city with double high walls and a steep embankment between the two walls. It says there in verse 1, none went out and none came in. This was otherwise impossible for the Israelites to conquer, but nothing is too difficult for God. And I love the verse in Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Have you ever faced a challenge or trial in your life that seemed impossible to conquer? It is so easy to focus on the size of our problems and get discouraged. But when we do that, we forget how big our God is. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that nothing is impossible with God. Your God is bigger than any mountain and higher than the heavens. Your God is greater than any trouble that may come your way. Keep your eyes off your trial and fix your eyes on your God. Trust in His power and faithfulness. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. All right, Joshua chapter 6. Let me um, just quickly orient ourselves. Uh, We last left off in chapter 5. But just to orient ourselves, as the Jewish people make their way up from Egypt after 400 years of slavery, they come through the Sinai Peninsula, they come underneath the south of the Dead Sea, and they come then to the uh, east of the Jordan River, where they will camp at a place called Shittim, uh, also translated Acacia Grove. And they will wait there until such time that God says, now cross the Jordan River. God parts the Jordan River. He tells the priest, you dip your feet into the Jordan River water first, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And then God rolls back the Jordan River 16 miles to the north in the city of Adam. And the Jewish people cross over to a small area called Gilgal, where they will camp. This will serve to be the base of operation because their ultimate mission that God is going to call them to take is the city of Jericho, just another two or three miles from Gilgal. It'll be at Gilgal here that we read in chapter 5, the people consecrate themselves. Uh, They get their hearts right with God. Consecration uh, is more important uh, before uh, the actual uh, war. 
And so uh, God calls them to circumcise all the males because for the 40 years in the wilderness wanderings, they had not practiced that covenant of circumcision. They also practice the feast of Passover. They celebrate the Lord. They get their hearts right. Um, and it is here at Gilgal that the Bible says near the end of chapter uh, 5, Uh, In verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And that's actually the translation for the city of Gilgal. Gilgal means to roll, to roll away. It was at this place where God then, in a very personal way, uh, consecrated the people, gathered them to himself. And those 400 years of slavery said, I'm rolling away your approach. Now you are a people belonging to me. You are a people in the land that I have given on oath to your forefathers. And so this day forward, uh, the people of Israel are going to occupy the land that God had originally sworn on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as they come into the land, uh, it is being occupied here in Jericho. Uh, by people who uh, don't love the Lord, serve the Lord, worship the Lord. They are pagan people. Uh, I will tell you in advance, chapter 6 is a bit of a difficult chapter when you think about what happens to the people of Jericho, but I'm going to try to give a biblical understanding to what happens with the ethical dilemma of war. Uh, But there's some serious stuff that happens here, and, uh, and we need to understand why it happens. And uh, we need to understand the character of God in the midst of what is happening here. And so let me read with you from chapter 6. I'm just going to read the first five verses. I hope to get through the whole chapter, Lord willing, tonight. But the first five verses, then we'll pray, and then we'll start to dig out this chapter together. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet... That all the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. So let's pause there. Those are the instructions that God gives to Joshua, and he's going to pass these instructions on to the people. We're going to see it play out here in chapter 6, but let's first pause there and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word, and we pray as we open up our Bibles here to Joshua 6 that you will help us to understand Uh, more about your character, your nature, your ultimate purpose and power, your plans for us, Lord. And we just thank you that you have revealed yourself through the pages of Scripture. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, you'll notice here that verse 1 says Jericho was securely shut up. It was fortified. And it says, because of the children of Israel. You see, the reputation of God and the reputation of God's people had preceded them. And the people who lived within Jericho, these pagan idolatrous people, they were not Jews. These were pagan idolatrous people. They had already heard about God. They had already heard about God's people. And so they had fortified themselves within the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is the oldest 
continuously occupied city in the world. And um, I first went there about 22 years ago and um, saw for myself some of the ruins that we're reading about right here. Uh, we don't typically go into Jericho anymore. It, is, uh, it has been turned over to the Palestinians, and as a result, sometimes they're not all that favorable to our Jewish tour guides. They don't mind Americans coming in, but they don't particularly like our Jewish tour guides. So, once again, there's a little bit of conflict where we can go and where we can't go. Uh, but Jericho, based on archaeological digs and discoveries, has uh, been indeed, uh, there's an ancient tell, an ancient part of the city of Jericho, and then there's a more modern uh, part of Jericho. But the ancient city of Jericho was built in such a way, based on different archaeological digs that were conducted in the early 1930s and the 1950s, and then again as recently as 1997, uh, by German archaeologists and British archaeologists, Uh, that it was determined that Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho, actually had a double wall fortification. You have a lower wall, and then you have this uh, dirt embankment, and then you have an upper wall. And what they discovered when they uh, began to uncover these ancient walls uh, was that this, the lower part, the lower wall, the lower wall is like you can see in two different uh, stages. The, the lower stage was about 12 to 15 feet high, and then on top of that was a mud brick wall that was six feet thick and about another 20 to 26 feet high for a total height, just the lower wall at the bottom end of the embankment, of about 32 to 41 feet. So that was the first wall. Then they had this dirt embankment that they discovered, and then there was another similar mud brick wall above that. And that surrounded, the upper wall surrounded the main living area of the town of Jericho. And the main living area of the town of Jericho was about only six acres. And then they discovered that along the embankment between the two walls were other uh, homes. And they believed that along the embankment lived the poorer people. You only get one wall if you're poor. Uh, the wealthier people could live within the second wall. And the outer embankment area was about another three to four acres. So you had a total of about 10 acres. That was the whole size of the city of Jericho. Now, our campus here is on 30 acres. So it's only about a third of our whole campus. Now, check this out. Archaeologists, they used a rule of thumb to determine how many people lived within a certain geographical area. And when it came to towns and fortified cities like Jericho, people lived in small little walled uh, homes, usually just one-room homes, and they were built on top of each other, kind of like townhomes. A lot of times they would share one wall with the outside wall of the city. And so the rule of thumb that archaeologists use for ancient cities like Jericho is, are you ready? 200 people per acre. 200 people per acre. Those of you in Western Loud, you're like, we got three acres, three to five acres. Good for you. <laughs> but if you lived in this day, you'd be living with 200 people on one acre. If you have a three acre plot today, there'd be 600 people living in your backyard. So they estimate that within 10 acres, there was about 2,000 people who lived within the city of Jericho. And it's walled double-walled, with this steep embankment. So they have fortified themselves now. They are up and they are tight and they are secure because of the children of Israel. 
And within these instructions here, God says some things that, you know, when we look at this, we go, this is an interesting military tactic. You're called to take the city of Jericho, but the instructions here teach us a few things here. Uh, They are to march around the city once for six successive days. Then they are to march around the city seven times on the seventh day. And they are to be led in a certain procession. There is, it'll tell us as we keep reading, there are armed men in front. And then behind them are seven priests with ram's horns. And then behind them are the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And then behind them is the rear guard and the people. So there's this progression that God says, this is the way I want you to march. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to go and I want you to take this approach. And so here they go. These are the instructions here. And there are a couple of things here that stand out to me. And I just want to share four quick points before we read through the rest of the text. And by the way, what they discovered when they noticed the walls, these mud brick walls had fallen, they fell outward. Okay, that's significant because usually if you're If you're penetrating a walled city, you're going to push the walls in. Well, the walls fell outward, and they noticed that the mud bricks, as they fell outward, uh, created a natural ramp so that the Israelites could walk right into the city. Not a single shot or arrow was fired. I mean, they went in and they took the city, and God made it all possible. But there are a couple of things here that stand out to me. One is this, for those of you taking notes. What might be too hard for you is never too hard for God. You know, this was a fortified city with double high walls and a steep embankment between the two walls. It says there in verse 1, none went out and none came in. This was otherwise impossible for the Israelites to conquer, but nothing is too difficult for God. And I love the verse in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. It says, Our Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. The one who created the universe can do great and mighty things. Despite how hard something might look for us, it's never too hard for God. The other thing that I think is interesting in this story that is a good lesson for us is number two, battles are best fought with prayer and faith. This military campaign is not the typical way that warfare was conducted. Marching around a city and blowing trumpets and then shouting at the end of it all. What's that going to do? And you might be inclined at times to think prayer and faith in God. What's that going to do? But what this method did for them, as prayer and faith does for us, is that we might see the mighty hand of God at work. If their brute strength and their military, you know, clever tactics produced for themselves their victory, then they would have thought that they were the ones who accomplished it. But because God uses this otherwise unconventional method of taking a city, it's a way that reinforces for us the importance of, okay, we're going to rely on God, we're going to trust God, and... We're going to see him do his mighty work. There will be situations in our lives, and some of you might be going through something like I'm describing now, where God calls us to, or he ends up putting us in a position where 
we have to be completely dependent upon him so that we can see his mighty hand at work and not think that we were the ones who accomplished this. You know, the way it usually works is that human nature, we're prone to want to jump in and fix something. What we tend to do when we don't follow the Lord's lead and bathe it with prayer and trust Him is we tend to get in there, we make a mess of it, and then we ask God to fix it. How many of you can relate to what I just said? All right. It's typical. It's what we do. We're like, okay, God, I got this. And then we rush in, we try to fix it, we make a mess of it, and then we're like, okay, God, I don't got this. How about you pray? Uh, I mean, how about I pray and ask you to fix it? And, and that's what we end up doing. But it's a reminder to us when he says, listen, I just want you to march around the city. This seems silly, doesn't it? I want you to walk around this city six times, seventh time, do it seven times. I want you to, you know, be blowing the trumpets, and I want you to be shouting at the last of the seven of the seven times. And yet this is what God does, and this is how God accomplishes his purpose. It's a very hard thing for us to do to really get out of the way and let God do his work, but it will only be then that he is most glorified, and it will only be then that we can witness the mighty hand of God. The other thing I think is important here that we're going to see is number three, to keep your eyes on the Lord. There's a very unusual thing that happens here in this story, and it is the fact that God instructs Joshua to tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant into this procession of marching around the city. The Ark of the Covenant was typically not used in any kind of military campaign. But yet in this particular case, God says, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant and I want you to make the Ark of the Covenant central to to this campaign of taking the city. Now, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they hoisted it on their shoulders using these staffs that would pass through rings on the side of the Ark. The size of the Ark was three and three quarter feet by two and a quarter feet by two and a quarter feet. The lid was made of solid gold with gold cherubim, these angels on top facing each other, wings outstretched. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Inside the box were articles of Israel's history, the Ten Commandments, Arid's budding staff, a sample of the manna. And it tells us in Psalm 80, verse 1, and again in Psalm 99, verse 1, that God sits enthroned between the cherubim. The Ark of the Covenant was a sacred article that symbolized the very presence of God. And it is a reminder when you think about how that was an important role in this procession and taking Jericho, that it was centered among the people so that they could always remember where to cast their gaze. They were to fix their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, which was a reminder of the very presence of God. It is so vital that we never forget that God is in the midst of whatever we're going through, and we have to keep our focus on Him and not get our eyes off of Him. It's so easy to get our eyes on everything else except Him. And God says to Joshua, I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant right in the midst of the people so that when they're marching, they can always remember, I'm with them and I'm in the midst of what they're doing here. And six days they marched silently around the city here. It took great courage and endurance. And then I love the last point, number four, is that there's instruction here to worship while you wait. Because he says to them on the seventh day, I want you to shout. I want you to shout. I want you to be silent for the first six days, but on the seventh day, on the seventh time around, I want you to shout. And then the walls fell. And they didn't fall because they shouted loud enough to cause, you know, some kind of an earthquake, all right? Some liberal theologians actually say that. That's ridiculous. They shouted as a voice of victory. 
before the victory happened. There's something to be said about worshiping while we wait. You know, when we worship before we get the victory, we are worshiping about the faithfulness of God. When we worship after we get the victory, we're worshiping in thankfulness to God. But there's something to be said about praising Him while we wait, even before we see the results. Why? Because God is worthy of our praise. You know, I'm reminded in Acts chapter 16, remember when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison because um, they were in Philippi and they were arrested for the gospel. They're put in prison. And in Acts 16, it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I just love that picture because they're in, you know, very difficult situation, but they didn't wait to sing the hymns after God opened the prison doors. They sang before God did that. And then it says in Acts 16, an earthquake came and God opened the prison doors. There's something wonderful that happens when we worship God even before we see the results because he's worthy of our praise. Now, on to the chapter itself. Besides those quick four points I just wanted to kind of throw out there. Um, It's interesting here in verse 4, the number of times that the number 7 is mentioned. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Now, the trumpets here are the ram's horns, it specifically says there, and we're talking in Hebrew, the shofar. So this, I, I bought this shofar in Israel, my first trip to Israel, 24 years ago. I was in the Arab market and uh, in the old city of Jerusalem, and uh, the guy was selling them, and I said, how much? And he says, $250. I said, no way. $250. Now, th- uh, what I love when I go to Israel is they actually expect you uh, to barter. And if you don't, they're insulted. You know, I wish I could, you know, go into Target and say, I ain't paying this. You bring your price down now or I'm walking out. Well, that's the way you do it in Israel. You negotiate like this. Am I right? Am I right? Yes, I am right, Iman. And so I went and he said, $250. I said, no, not $250. I said, uh, $100. He said, no, not $100. And I said, okay, I'm walking. And I walked out. And as soon as I turned the corner, he comes chasing after me. Sir, sir, okay, $100. I said, no, 50 now. <laughs> he said, all right, 50. <laughs> you know, when I brought this home we, and our dog was still living, my dog thought this was a giant chew stick. She loved this. She went crazy when she saw this. But this is what a shofar is. This is a ram's horn. Now, I'm gonna, I haven't blown this thing in years, but I'm going to try to do the best I can because this is what they were doing. The priests would gather these seven priests with these ram's horns, and then they were just sounding this blast. Right, here we go. There you go. That's the show for the day. Shofar, show good. All right. Anyway. So that's a shofar. That's what the priests would do. Little show and tell today in first grade. You're welcome. (laughs) Verse 6. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed. 
and march around the city and let him who was armed advance before the ark of the Lord. Okay, so you have the armed men in front of the ark. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the Promised Land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you, too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.